Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. That is exactly what today's guest, Alex Burks, has done. He is a teacher from Colorado who just qualified for the Olympic trials after years putting on the line and trying to get there. And I could not wait to, to talk to Alex about this. I was actually there in person at the McCurdy Micro Marathon where he did this. And it was an absolute sight to behold. Before we get into this conversation, and I will say this is one of the most impactful conversations I think I've ever had on this podcast. So just throwing that out there. This is something you're going to want to listen to, maybe re-listen to, and definitely want to share with your running friends. Before we do, just shout out to John G. Thank you for sponsoring this episode. When you support our sponsors who support us, it makes a huge difference for the podcast. So if you're looking for high quality running attire that has a five year guarantee, think of the ROI on that for you and your dollars, go to John G. So John G.com that's J A N J I.com and use code rambling to save 15%. So you get a five year guarantee and 15% off. John G is where it is at. Now let's get into my conversation with Alex Burks. All right, Alex Burks, thank you so much for coming on the show. And also, congratulations. I was there in person at Rockland State Park this past weekend where when you and so many people, a shocking amount of people, showed up and performed so well and got their OTQ 217.13. Alex, congratulations. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me here. My pleasure. That was a, a just a fantastic event it wasn't your only event at this place before and we'll, we'll definitely get into it that is for sure but but walk me through the morning of or i guess like the, the night before and the morning of i would say more morning of but this race started so early there wasn't much of a morning for a lot of people we kicked off at 6 30 a.m um on that race day walk me through the night before and the morning of in terms of getting your mind right into the space it needed to be to perform at your best yeah, so I, I wish I could say that I got my mind right into the place that it needed to be, but I woke up on Friday morning the day before the race feeling terrible. I had like a bit of a fever. I was coughing. My chest was tight. Uh, I went out and did my shakeout, which usually for me the day before marathons about like four miles or so, and those four miles felt just bad. Like I, I finished and I was like, I do not know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Uh, but you know, I went dropped off my bottles. I, I actually even had a conversation with my coach where I was like, I really don't feel good tomorrow and we don't have a backup plan for if tomorrow doesn't go well. And we actually talked for a moment about what could be another race that we could pivot to. But once that conversation was done, it was like, okay, now we're all in on tomorrow. Um, so I went to sleep as early as I possibly could, although it was hard for me to fall asleep because I spent so much of the day sleeping and like drinking fluids and just trying to kick whatever it was that was bugging me. Uh, but I woke up the next morning, kind of put it all behind me, still didn't feel 100%, but was like, hey, I've got a marathon to run. Let's go out. Let's do it. So yeah, I mean, showing up, it was still dark out. Wasn't much that I did besides jog around for about 10 minutes, uh, you know, Maybe did my dynamics, got ready, but uh, it was so interesting the the contrast between this race and the other race, the other time I had done a marathon at um, Rockland Lake State Park. Because this time, instead of lining up and having like thirty or something people there, it was just this huge crowd, not only of people running, but of people spectating, all the volunteers and everything. But yeah, one, I mean, once I got to the line, just seeing it and being in that race setting and having it feel you know, like this big production, I think definitely helped to kick me into that gear of like, all right, 
this is perfect racing conditions because it was it was like 49 50 degrees overcast no wind let's go let's make the most of this day yeah i was comparing the feel of the event again this is as a spectator and as a volunteer so people who don't know i worked two of the bottle tables so like l14 and l15 because everyone there who ran the race got you know, basically elite bottle service. So everyone had personalized bottle service that they would provide. Alex just mentioned he dropped off his bottles the day before, as did every other athlete. So that was kind of a a fun perk of the event. So I was there in a volunteer capacity, and I was on the Relay podcast yesterday that we published today. Laura Thweet and I were talking about this because Laura Thweet was there as well, watching a friend there. And I was saying this, it kind of felt like a college meet combined with a virtual race. Because it had like it had good positive vibes, but not a ton of people. But also, it wasn't a race. It was much more of a collaborative effort than a race. Like no one cared. Like when you came and say like, especially with your OTQ group, and I'd love to hear more about this for you. But like, no, whether you came in like, you know, two o nine thirty. I think the winner came in like two eleven. So say you came in two eleven, or you came in two seventeen fifty nine. It was like we were all the same. Like, we all met what we were trying to do. But I guess just from a vibes perspective, I guess, like, is it, does my does my comparison hold water? Or what would you compare it to? Yeah. Um, I I would say that definitely it was, it was almost like um, some of the races that I ran in college where it was, it was a, it just, a, it was going to be a time trial where like, you know, uh, for me being a D3 guy on the Northeast uh, going to like the the Bucknell 10K or like that was a race where everyone was there. Everyone knew they wanted to run as fast as possible, try and get a nationals time. And it was like you were still kind of competing against each other there. But it's like we are here to run fast. Like if you are up at the front, you're going to change paces. You're going to work together like we just want to run fast. Yeah, for sure. And it was so it was so interesting, too, because when you have that kind of like we're in it together, it definitely it, it, it you could let me put it this way. You could tell just by the countenance on people's faces. Right. Like there was never a time where I saw someone like, look, they were competing with another person. Right. So how did it work for you? And this is what I was like, curious how it would work. And then when I saw it in practice, like, oh, my gosh, like I'm, I hope no one goes down. You have all of these people, you know, 150 people or so having their own personalized bottles on this this smaller loop. So it's 2.94 miles. What was it like navigating that large group, especially the first two or three laps when a lot of people were very tightly congested to get your own bottles, but at the same time being courteous of the people around you and making sure that, you know, everyone's staying upright. Yeah. So I, I kind of knew coming into it, having experienced running on that loop before, that like the congestion probably wasn't going to be as big of a deal as everyone thought because, you know, James and Heather knew that. They separated the tables with a good amount of distance. Uh, they set it up where there were only a couple bottles on each table. It wasn't like going to be really, really bad. But I knew to kind of position myself a little more towards the front of that OTQ pack early on to avoid especially that early congestion where there were, you know, 60 or 70 runners like you know in that pack in that train but everyone did do a really good job of either vocalizing hey i'm at this table like i'm gonna go in for this and then i'm gonna peel off if you want to get in behind me or if you're gonna sprint up in front of me whatever and people were kind of pointing like saying okay this is my table but by the end of it you kind of knew 
who was going to be at the table in front of you or who was going to be at the table behind you because people were mostly staying at the same place in the race and they told them like hey i'm l10 position one or you know i'm uh I'm L14, I'm L9. So you kind of knew who was going to go in where and made that space. Because everyone kind of recognizes, you know, it is a marathon and we are shooting for a very specific time. But missing two seconds, slowing down and making sure you get that bottle, you don't get tripped up, is going to be way more valuable than missing that bottle or getting tripped up and losing tens of seconds or minutes later in the race. I love that message because I tell this to amateur runners all the time. Like if you need to like power walk through like, um, like a, this is, you would never do this, but like if you have to like, say you're someone like, like my, like my pace, right? Like the four hour ish marathon. Like if you have to power walk through an aid station to drink out of one of those paper cups, because if you don't, it will just be splashing all over your face. Like do it. Like you'll lose 10 seconds, but you'll gain minutes if you don't hydrate. I can, I can admit too that on race day, I would not have simply because of how packed the race was. But in training, I had missed a bottle before, and I didn't stop my watch, turned around, basically came to a dead stop in the middle of a 5.09 pace rep to get a bottle because I was like, this is going to be way more valuable than hitting that pace exactly as it was prescribed to me because I've got you know f- four more sets to go in this marathon workout. Now, talk to me about the connection that you had with the other runners in this group. So, you know, it started out with a group of, you know, it felt like like 75 to like 90 people. Again, of course, that gets whittled down over time. Um, but like, were there, did you know, first of all, like, did you know a lot of people in that group? Did certain people kind of take like a more like senior or leadership positions? Now, there were pacers as well, but certain people there were like, like Sergio Reyes is like, is a master's runner who's like, you know, done this, you know, done this before and, you know, has, has a, has a really good career as an amateur runner and, and people like that, you know, Sergio has had sponsorships too. I shouldn't say like he's an amateur runner, but you, you get my point. So were there, were there kind of roles within the group, at least early on, or how, how did everyone kind of co-mingle in that setting? So I didn't really know anyone who was in that uh, OTQ pack. And I kind of wish I did because there were a couple of other division th- or X division three runners, you know, division three alumni from various schools. And it would have been really cool to know that, that I was running with like, f- I think it was four other division three runners who as a former division three athlete, I love this so much. We yeah. can just talk about division three athletics the rest of the way. If you do, if you want to. Oh yeah. <laughs> but um, there was definitely like, although it wasn't really vocalized, like there was camaraderie there of like, you know, no one was fighting for position. No one was, was like trying to hold the line and not let other people in. Um, and when it came time at around mile 17, where that last pacer finally dropped off with, which they did an incredible, incredible job of just being rock steady. I mean, you can go and see the Strava splits from anyone who was in that group they were never off by more than two seconds from the exact pace that they needed to and run. Even for. on those, it was more like the turny part of the course versus like the straight part of the course. Correct. So yeah, it, I, I think a couple times, like I, I sometimes to relax myself, like to just like, you know, feel things out and say something to a couple people around me. Um, so I would say something like, yeah, we just got to keep like steady. We got to keep calm, patient, which that was the mantra I was telling myself the whole time. But um yeah, just like I, I definitely say a couple of things, but by by the end, there was definitely a point where like with a lap to go, I kind of looked around and said to everyone like, guys, 
we're having ourselves a day. And I think everyone that I said that to got across that line in that OTQ uh, place at that so point. At what point does pacing go out the window and you just say, I just need to run as hard as I can with what I have left? Obviously, you're not going to start sprinting off the front or something. But like at a certain point, I would, I would assume that like pa- pacing is no longer the strategy. The strategy now is maximizing everything I have left and not clock watching here. Like, Did you reach a point in the race where that was the case? This is going to be the first time in my racing career that I can confidently say no, actually. the Even with one lap to go, in my mind, I was thinking, I, I saw the clock, I saw what time was there, I knew what my PR was, and I knew that if I threw in a hard surge, I could get close. But then it just, the, the thought occurred to me, I, I don't care about beating my PR today. I don't care and about... Your P- and your PR any, was what for people who don't know? Uh, 216.51. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, I don't care about beating my PR. I don't care about beating a single person around me. I just want that OTQ time. And so with one lap left to go, even though I, I was still feeling like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like I can, I can do this pace. In my head, it was, so just do that pace. And so I think the only point where I started running harder than the same pace I had run the entire time was in about the last 400 meters, just to steal the deal and know that I was there. So I I quite literally in my head was thinking, do not speed up, do not slow down, hold this pace, get the qualifier, uh, just because of the process that I had been through to, to get to this point. I wanted to just guarantee OTQ, that's it. So you're a chemistry teacher, right? You did biochem in college. You're familiar with math, right? Math is, is I would assume, a pretty a pretty strong suit of yours. And as someone who's been running for a long time, running math is certainly something that comes second nature at this point. Now, you finished 217-13. So were, were you, I guess, was there a certain buffer that you were comfortable with that you were shooting for? And how well aware of you how well aware of that buffer were you as you progressed through the race, especially, again, each lap, I should remember, remind people, is 2.94 miles, especially over the last, like, two laps or so. How aware were you of the buffer between, again, 2.17.59 and wherever you happened to be at that moment? So as a, as a common theme, I have to continue to applaud the, the, the race and the commitment that the uh, race directors, Heather and James, had to making this the perfect opportunity for people to OTQ, because rather than having mile splits out around the race, because again, this is a loop course and there would have been a million signs and runners would have had to think, okay, which mile is it that I'm coming up on? Do the math in their head. They said, nope, no mile markers but at the finish line, because you, fas- you pass by the finish line nine times, the last time, ninth time's the last time. At the finish line, they had a board where for 209.30 pace, 211.30 pace, 218 pace, and 237 pace being the key paces. So the women's OTQ, the men's OTQ, I forget why there was a two. I think two eleven thirty is the Olympic men's a standard, and then two oh nine thirty was just a time that they wanted to have for the men to be able to break. But they had the exact time that you needed to be at to be very slightly under that. So partic- like the elapsed time, like total yes, elapsed time, total elapsed time. So I knew with every lap 
what time I was at relative to the Olympic trials qualifying time, which was fantastic because I knew pretty early on in the race that my watch was running a little bit fast. And I'm usually someone who likes to use my GPS watch to like get a gauge of how fast I'm running. I might have looked at it twice the whole race. I think once at the start of the race, realized it was a little off. And then I think I looked at it for the half marathon split. Other than that, every lap, I would just look at that sign and I would go, go, okay, I'm 12 seconds under the pace I need to be. Cool. Okay. I'm and we fit- should say next to the sign was like, like, like the official like clock like that yep. everyone knows, seen it like every race across the world. Yep. So yeah, so I was aware every single lap of exactly how far I was. And in this case, for every single lap, it was below the pace that I needed to be. And I think it was with two laps to go that I reached that that threshold of realizing not only am I below pace, but I think today is the day I'm finally going to do it. It was it was it was with those two laps to go. Now, you mentioned before you set a PR 216.51, I think is what you said. And you did it on the same course. So the yes. McCurdy Trials and Miles Marathon version one, which was 2021. Can you compare and contrast how you felt over the final two laps? Again, which are roughly you know the last nine K or so, um, and how you felt during you know not only those two marathons, but you've run a lot of marathons in the interim, and I can't wait to talk to you about those. Um, just comparing like how you felt in those moments, physically as well as mentally and emotionally, uh, as you progress again through those those critical nine K. Yeah. So the first time I ran it. It was a much, much, much smaller production. Uh, Very few people there. I was in the lead. I think I ended up winning the race by close to 20 minutes or so. Um, I think I I lapped second place on that that three-mile loop course. So very, very different. But that time, at that point, when I was running that race, my only other marathon I had run was a 223.47. And I knew I was in good shape. I had been pounding mileage through the pandemic. Um, knew I like knew I was ready to do something pretty big. But in my mind, it was just just get under get under two twenty, maybe maybe two nineteen. And there were people on the course who were telling me, like, you're starting to get on pace for for so, like two seventeen or under. And for me at that point, that was a in the last two laps. I was starting to like pound it on, like running like like five o low, because I think I started with a little bit more conservatively in the high five tens, um, and yeah, at that point it was it was still it's it's similar to the the race that I ran, you know, a, a couple of days ago where I was still just trying to keep myself calm and composed and not let like the emotions take over right then, but it was a similar feeling in the last lap of. I am going to do this. I am going to do something special and that kind of carrying me through until the end. As far as how I felt physically, I would say I felt a little better physically for the race this past Saturday than I did when I ran 216.51 solely because I was keeping myself controlled and staying on that pace and just trying to hit that time. Um, And both of those races are the best I've ever felt running a marathon and i know exactly why all right i want to take a quick break from my talk with alex to mention Johnji. thank you for sponsoring the conversation Johnji. i really appreciate it Johnji has the best attire out there 
In addition to that, as a five-year guarantee, in addition to that, their stylings are unique. They think about different regions of the world when they put out new product lines, and they have the typical colors as well. So you cannot go wrong with the best running gear out there. I have, I just got all of their, I said all of their, I got some of their long sleeve attire for the fall. It just arrived like three days ago. This stuff is really, really nice. Their pants have been fantastic. I wore their long pants at my Ultra in last spring. It was snowing outside. I was out there for nine hours and those pants were perfect. I still have them in rotation. They were, I went through mud, snow, rain, gotten you know gallons of sweat and those things are still kicking around and they are the best pants i still have and they're just phenomenal you're gonna love Johnji, and you're gonna love the 15 percent off as well so go to johnji.com that's j-a-n-j-i.com and use code rambling to set today to save 15 percent on your order so you went from 224 down to 216 51 now this was we should say prior to not only the OTQ window opening, but yes. before they've even announced what the OTQ time was going to be. So this That's was preceding correct. all of that. So we can fast forward. All of a sudden, they announce it was like the weekend of CIM, I think, 2020, 2021 or 2022? 2021. Right. Yeah. So the weekend yep. of CIM, I remember because I, I was sitting next to the race director of CIM when they announced this. We're like on Twitter looking. He's like, oh, my God. CIM. Yep. The CIM window opens in 27 days, I'm sorry, the OTQ window opens in 27 days. He was so worried that all of the elites were going to drop out of his race and go to Houston because all of a sudden his race, he was hoping was going to be grandfathered into the window, but it wasn't. So anyway, I, I, I was too. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you run an incredibly fast time, a massive PR and a fantastic race all around. And then the OTQ window opens up. The time is there. Obviously I'm assuming that you felt as comfortable or not comfortable, as confident as someone could be who is still kind of newer to the marathon, considering that you've already done this. You've beaten this time by over a minute that has now been set as the benchmark. So walk me through the next couple of years where all of a sudden the 216.51, it's not quite the the time that you're, you're starting to perform at, at on race day. And you know, some of the anxieties or pent-up frustrations that go along with not reaching your potential while trying to reach this standard that you're, you know, holding holding on so tightly to. Yeah, so I actually, I ran at that CIM in 2021, and yeah, it was like four days before the race or something like that. They announced that standard. And so I went, well, okay, I'm not, I can't get the standard at CIM. Let me just go out, run like the same time or faster as what I did. And I remember I went through half in about 68.16 at that CIM, went, I'm feeling great. I'm going to have another day like I did that other time. And I think I went through 30K on pace for about 2.14.30 or something like that. It's still... Wow, so I, you yeah. really turned it on at half. Yeah, I went through tw- I went through 20 miles in, I think, an hour 42 low to mid. So, yeah, I was dropping like low fives from about 13 to 20. Uh, and then... Around 22, I think my last four miles, I averaged well above like six minute pace, like in the 620s. So you crossed the bridge and it was like, adios. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I crossed the bridge and the piano was on my back. Uh, but I still, I still, hey, I still ran, which is still my third fastest marathon ever. I ran two two nineteen thirty, and so after that race, I was I was okay. Like I yeah. didn't feel defeated. I was like, okay, For sure. I, t- I took a big swing. I ran like an idiot. Like I and I, and still a yeah. five minute a yeah. five minute PR over your next best marathon at like a traditional race. Yeah. So, so still was, a, I, yeah. a lot to I was take still from super it. Super happy. Yeah. Exactly. So so at that point, I was like, okay. I just blew up to run a minute 30 off of the OTQ time. Like, yeah, this is, this is going to be no problem. I'll get it out of the way and then do whatever I want for, you know, the time leading up to the, the trials. Like I'll, I'll just do whatever races I feel like doing. So I ran grandma's in June, you know, another classic course that people go to, to get that OTQ out of the way. And, uh, yeah, to, to just kind of parse it out, went out on pace for OTQ, was doing fine. Um, I did have to do, like, a bathroom stop during that race, but, like, that, that honestly didn't really affect my chances. I got out, went right back on pace, and with, yeah, with six miles to go or so, was right on OTQ pace. Was probably going to run about 2.17.30 if I just kept it up. And, um, yeah, that was, the, that was the first time that at 20 miles... Uh, I just like fell apart and was basically jogging it into the finish line. And I think I ran a couple seconds slower than my, my debut. I think I ran about like 223.50 or something like that. And at that point I was like, okay, well maybe it was something like, like with, you know, I had, I had to stop and use the restroom during it. Maybe something uh, like adrenally got like messed up, whatever. Like I've got plenty of time, like it sucks that I didn't get it right here. Like I thought I was in shape, but oh, well, we'll go and do another try. And so again, I ran CIM in 2022 being like, okay, feeling good for this. I had done a lot of my buildup with um, a friend of mine who uh, I met a little before grandma's who moved out to Colorado, Jared Ottman. He was doing CIM as his first marathon ever. We're both like, we're both D3 guys. We both want to go out and get the standard and we did like all like almost all of our workouts together really really similar training we go out and run it he gets the standard i don't same exact time blowing up 20 oh. miles uh 6 miles to go this time blew up even worse ran 227 and that one probably was the the lowest point mentally for me um I, I was I was crossing the line um, two two people I know uh, Colton Gale and Peter Bromko were both like right there with me and just could tell that like I was I just was like going through in my head like what's happening what's going on like and you know I was I was super super happy when I found out that my friend Jared made it but at the same time couldn't help but think, why did he get it but I didn't not from a perspective of like he shouldn't have gotten it because I didn't but as a like what like what is different here like why was he because he ran great he ran two two sixteen thirty, um and I was just I was like what like what went wrong for me like why is this happening to me and you know we figured okay well maybe we just haven't spent a lot of time uh doing like like higher end speed work so we focused instead on on uh, chasing some faster times can i just pause you right there that that mental 
like why not me the comparison again it's it's especially in this case it's so easy to make what you assume is like an apples to apples comparison right if not if not even more so because you're like hey this is his first marathon and we did all the same training i don't understand right yeah so that that can be so destructive so before we get into like what what you did after and what you changed and things like that just mentally how long and shoot maybe it's still going on how long did it take for you to come to grips with that result and just completely distance yourself from the feelings associated with that so so from from just like a direct like, like get getting it out of my system i think it took about 2 months um, cause after those two months, we both went down to, um, to Boston to go do, uh, an indoor track meet and I got to go and, and, uh, murder my old 5k time from college, which was a lot of fun. And so was this on the BU track, like, yeah, on the BU nice. track and everything, which I had run on before in college, but yeah, I got to go out and smash my 5k PR. So that was a lot of fun. And, uh, and that, that to me got me to go like, okay, I can, I can still run. Like I, I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still good at running like this, like this is going okay. But as, yeah, as far as the marathon goes, honestly, I don't even know if I fully got over it until this past Saturday when I was finally able to get that demon off my back and get that OTQ out of the way. Gotcha. All right. Thank you. And thank you for your honesty there. Cause there are still races that I'm still not over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, hey, yeah. every single day they eat at me and it's like, this was a long time ago. Like you really need yeah. to get over it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, if I could go back and I could reverse that CIM result, I would in an instant. But, you know, now, now that, now that we've, that I've finally moved past it and like have, have gotten that, that goal done and over with, it's, it's a lot easier to go back and look on it and reflect on it and be not necessarily thankful for the experience, but thankful for the people I had to help guide me through that experience. Cause I do think I'm stronger because of it. Wish I didn't have to go through it, but I'm just really thankful that I had such a, a positive support crew to help me through that. Yeah. It would be great if we could learn from the tough times, but without having the tough times. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> that would be, that would be awesome. <laughs> So, all right. So I, and I cut you off before. So you were talking about some of the changes you made post CIM in light of what, what had happened and what had happened in the, in the race prior as well. Yeah. So we figured me and me and my coach figured, okay, we're going to focus. We should in. give your coach a shout out too. We were, we're yeah. talking about him a lot. So who is your coach? So my, my coach is uh, Ben Walk. He is uh, a coach at Oberlin college in um, Ohio. It's a D3 school. Uh, we both went to SUNY Geneseo, but we also both went to Marinick High School. So I have known Ben since 2010 and in a sense have been coached by him in some way, shape or form since about 2012 because he was giving me advice and mileage and like training logs and some plans back when I was still in high school. So there's a long, long history there. Gotcha. All right. So keep going. So yeah, so we decided, okay, well, let's like, like marathon, we've now had two in a row that haven't gone well. Let's take a step back. Let's focus in a little bit on the shorter stuff. So I did that 5k. I was doing more like almost even miler training in some cases doing like, you know, 200s and 300s, like faster than I had in a really, really long time. Um, did another Rockland Lake State Park race, did the, tri the Trials and Miles Project. Well, this is your backyard. Yeah. You're from Amerinek. All you yeah. have to do is head up 287. This is like literally your hometown exactly. race. 
Yep, two eighty seven cross the Tappan Z. Although now now it's the Cuomo. That's how you know yeah. that, that that I grew up in Mamaroneck. I'll still call that the Tappan Z until they I, build. Listen, the I've been to Mamaroneck High School seven times as part of a former job. I've been there. <laughs> I was. It, it, it's a beautiful place for sure. Yes, yeah, yeah. like you go there, you take nine W North, and you're there. You're three turns away from this race. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, um, yeah, did that. Ran very, very similar time to the first time I ran that that 13-point run race the, at Rockland Lake State Park. Uh, and it was funny, too, because I was able to take some really good experience. I didn't know it at the time, but I was able to take some experience from that race and then apply it to my recent marathon, which is that at that race, um, when I first ran 216.51 at Rockland Lake, I was doing it with a Garmin watch. And um, this time I was doing it with a, with a Koros. And at that race, the Koros was actually running a little bit long on that particular course. Uh, and so I thought I was running faster than I actually was and ended up kind of having to try and make up time at the end of the race and feeling like I, I sold myself a little short and could have run a little faster. So at this most recent Rockland Lake race, when I saw that happening again, I went, okay, we are throwing the watch out the window today. We are not paying attention to that. And I do think that really helped me because instead I was just like eyes on the back of the pacer, like eyes on the pacer's jersey. Like that is all you are doing today. The pacers are running the right time. Do not look at your watch. So that definitely helped me there. But yeah, I ran like 65.40 or something like that at that half. And I was like, okay, like, I've got the 5K PR. I'm like 10 seconds off of my half marathon PR. We're in shape to go out and run an OTQ again. Now, part of what we were thinking too is, okay, at this point, um, we've had two bad marathons. The headspace might not be good. Let's run something small, something a little familiar um, so I had run the year before the Toledo half marathon. So we decided to just sign up for the Toledo full marathon, not really tell many people about it. Just go. So for this it. is glass city. This is glass city. Yeah. Um, yeah. So now this is this year, 20, 2013 glass city marathon. Um, 2023, Alex. Did I just say something? Did I just say 2022? <laughs> You're going back in time. You're 2013. Oh. Sorry, sorry. Oh, it's 2013. Sorry, yeah, 2023. I love this. No, we we can go. We can go all the way back. There's, yeah. there's a 2013 memory that's percolating that you yeah. want to get out. We we can go there. <laughs> that would have been high school cross country, but no, yeah, 2013 Glass City Marathon. Um, and what ended up happening there, which this is what finally got me to realize what was actually going wrong, because that was just that was another flop. Thankfully, was not a big mental hit again. Because by the end of it, I think it finally got me to realize what was going wrong. And that was that I was under the impression because I had gotten um, like a bottle or two that I got to put out on the course for that uh, that race the year before for the half that we were going to have bottles. But apparently the race wasn't able to turn up with the volunteers that they needed to get the elite qualifiers bottles. So I just had to run with a couple of gels. And during that race, structurally, physically, mentally, I was feeling good but I couldn't take down all my gels because I just wasn't getting enough fluids in. So I was trying to take like six or seven gels. I only got through three of them and like wanted to puke. So um, once again, hit 20 miles, piano on the back, jogged it in for another 227. But this time it was finally hitting me. Like 
the one thing that all my races had in common was that they were they were happening at that 20 mile point which is like the classic marathon wall and this time i knew for a fact that i didn't take down enough nutrition and i thought back to cim and at cim i wasn't consuming all of my bottles i thought back to grandma's at grandma's i had to go and use the restroom maybe i wasn't digesting calories well enough like because i hadn't been practicing it so for this marathon build, I decided, and I, at that point I knew I was running the McCurdy race, I decided, okay, we are going to practice nutrition, we are going to train exactly like we have been, because the training's been good, I think I did do a little more mileage, but like the training's been good, we're going to practice nutrition, and this will finally be the time when it all works out. All right, let's do a comparison. Prior to Glass City, in this epiphany, what was your normal nutritional intake in a long run over 16 miles? I wasn't really practicing with it. And that was the other thing that like started to become a realization was that when I was doing my marathon training for McCurdy, well, actually, sorry, going even further back when I was doing my half marathon training for that trials and miles race in November of 2020, there was a point where I actually was signed up for the JFK 50 miler. And so I was practicing nutrition like crazy. I ended up not doing that and doing the 13.1 race instead because of my job and like the COVID rules at the time about like if you cross state borders, you had to like quarantine. I couldn't do that with my job and everything. Um, but I ended up carrying over that nutrition practice to my next training cycle. And so I just had to bring the nutrition practice back into the mix and also up the number of calories substantially because for my marathons at that point, once I really sat down and did the math, I mean, for glass city, I know that I barely got down 300 calories. I think for CIM, I might've total. Got total. Oh God. For glass. Oh, yeah. God. And listen, <laughs> I, the, when, when I, when I ran the two sixteen fifty one, I got down 940 and I just, and it just, and because, okay, because hold on. It, I have to ask, I have to ask yeah. because you're a smart guy. Yeah. You are a chemistry teacher. Yes. You have all of this experience. I'm assuming that you also are a student of your sport. You know all these people. You communicate with a lot of folks. Your coach is a student of the sport. Was it that did did you just have like an allergy to like the idea of taking this kind of like what was the what was the mental disconnect between I know the best practices? And yet I'm going to choose to do something different. So, yeah, for I think it was just that at, at CIM. So so at, at grandma's, I think I did take down a decent number of calories, but I think I just hadn't practiced it and my body wasn't ready to process it. At CIM, I had done some practice, but then I just didn't take it. And I think the disconnect was, well, I had 720, 800 calories for the race but wasn't realizing that I didn't consume all of them. And so it wasn't until it was like, okay, I know I had 300 calories during that race. Wait a second. This felt exactly the same as the last couple. And so I think it was just the, the idea that like it was something wrong. Like I was, I was spiraling into thinking it was something wrong with me. It was something I was doing it was something mental or it was something like with training and it wasn't this just really, really obvious thing 
that my coach didn't know because I wasn't telling him that that was what happened. And I didn't realize because I was so hyper-focused on all of these other things that I thought were making such a big difference. All right. Other question on this topic yeah. would be like, what was holding you back from fueling your long runs in a similar manner? Yeah. So, I mean, being just, you know, a, a, an athlete who's, you know, also working as a teacher and whatnot, uh, if I'm, if I'm going to have fueling on my run, uh, specifically with like bottles and stuff, I'm either going to have to have someone biking with me or set them up on a loop course. And I guess it was just eventually deciding, okay, I'm going to, or, or honestly, sometimes I'd even for slower long runs, I'd uh, wear like a belt with two bottles on it. And I think for me, it was just a matter of saying, this is something I am going to focus on. Like, this is something I know, like I, or I think I know now will make a difference in my running. Like this is the missing element and just deciding, okay, we are going to focus on this now. And from a caloric perspective and, and carbohydrates as well, I mean, they're, they're intertwined here. Um, were you focusing more, especially like this time around, because you weren't at my bottle station, so I, I didn't get to see this firsthand. Yeah. Were you focusing more on gels as your as your way to get these calories? Or did you have liquid, um, kind of liquid, you know, liquid calories in the form of tailwind or scratch or something along those lines? Yeah, so I have found that if I'm going to get gels down, I need fluids with them to have it happen. And so right. what's even easier pro, pro tip, everyone does. Yes. Because it's literally <laughs> it's made that way. If you have a gel yes. without the water, it is they will even tell you on the package it will cause GI distress. Yeah, and it did. Um, so, <laughs> but yeah, so I focused more, especially since we could just have, you know, eight bottles set out for this race, one every single lap, every three miles. I had eight bottles, and in those eight bottles, total was uh, two packs of Martin 320, so 640 calories of, of the Martin 320 mix. I think another half package of a Martin 160 mix, the other half package I was sipping on before the race. Uh, and then I had some, I think in some of the bottles, I put a little bit of noon with like the, the noon with caffeine in it. And then in some of the other bottles, I put a SOS, which is just another electrolyte powder. Um, and this was, I mean, for people who haven't done the math, this is every 15 minutes Yeah, you're having this. Yeah, every 15 minutes, I was probably just in the Martin fluids. Every 15 minutes, I probably had about 100 calories. Then add in, I had two gel 100, calf 100s. I took each of those at mile 7 and mile 17. And then I also took a regular gel 100 at mile 13. And then I had another gel 100 on standby in case I missed a bottle. So now, now you're going to be like an evangelist for like, for, yes. for, for, for fueling on course. Yes. I had prepared for me, I think 1200 calories total. And I took in 1,040 that is awesome. So were yes. there any things that you read or listened to that really hammered this home once you came to the realization? Like I'm thinking in my head, Tom Evans has done some um, some podcasts because he's he's really, you know, he's someone who really loves to share exactly what he's doing. And he, he doesn't hold back because people don't know this. Tom Evans is one of the best ultra runners in the world. And he talks about this all the time in terms of like the amount of calories he takes. He takes, like, I think for ultras, 
that take him between 13 and 16 hours. He takes 100 grams of carbohydrate per hour, which people are like, well, how much is that? It's like, that's like four or five gels an hour. Like, like you know, and he's not taking them all in gel form, but that's like the equivalent. So people like him who are really willing to share, like were there people or things that you read um, that influenced you along the way over the course of the past year? Yeah, um, I, I'm in, uh, there's like a, a, a running discord channel that I'm a part of that has some people who look at that stuff. And so I was, I was looking into that. Um, some of them were, there's like a whole running science channel in there where some people were sharing like some actual studies that were done. And I was also talking to some of my friends who are into cycling. Cause in cycling, they go like, if you think ultra runners go hard, with nutrition cyclists will literally consume whatever like they'll consume a bottle of maple syrup that's like 300 grams of carbohydrates well, yeah because their stomach doesn't move there's yeah, no exactly. oscillation like it's right so, they could they could, so, yeah. they could eat a whole pizza on the bike and be yep. fine yep so yeah they so they were telling me even they were like honestly like at, at the point that they were at with what with how they had trained their body for some of them 90 grams per hour wasn't even enough they were like pushing like like 120 to even like 140 and said that they've heard guys try to go as high as like 150 160. did you tell them that you took 300 calories at glass city not even 300 grams of carbohydrate yeah yeah and they basically went well yeah there's no wonder basically <laughs> basically anyone who who i told about like my realization very politely or just very bluntly said you're an idiot like it was it was you know it, it really was like a okay like and and that did and honestly hearing that gave me confidence to be like okay i've i've been running poorly because of very stupid things <laughs> well that's the thing about this issue is that like this is one of the great problems to have because yeah. it's such an easy fix yeah yeah, right. It's not like some of those people yeah. who like, I'm getting cramps and I don't know why I feel like I've tried everything, but I keep cramping up or, you know, name the name, the thing like this. Once you came to this realization, that must have been like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. Like, all I have to do is take in more calories. Yeah. And so it turned out that it was such an easy fix that even on a day where I felt maybe 85 or 90 percent that I was still able to hit an OTQ and like be not even not even like be instead of slowing down the last six miles choosing to not speed up the last six miles uh it was it was just such a big difference in how i felt i love how you put it that way because it's absolutely true people might have forgotten that like you weren't 100 for this race you just yes. weren't no and in addition to that i also wonder what's capable what was possible with a year of training when you're fueling these longer efforts right in terms of like not only the the increase of the stimulus of those efforts, but also increasing the recovery that comes from properly fueled long runs, which can be very depleting. Like this must just be like, wow, like I'm in like a whole new tier of athletic performance. Yeah, it was basic. It was basically the thing that I had back when I ran 216 that I'd been missing the whole time. Like it was, it was that missing piece that I just hadn't, been thinking about and I and I'd asked so many people to like look at my training look at my races look at my pacing look at like all all of this data and there just wasn't that piece of them asking well like how are like how are you fueling these runs like because they because it was just kind of assumed that like at this level at this point and given that I had done it in the past that I was continuing to do it and so for this cycle anytime I fueled a run I would put in the like in my 
you know, Strava comments or whatever, like what it was I fueled, how many calories I took. So I was like, I want to be able to look back and see like, okay, this workout, I took this many calories and it went well. And I felt this way, this workout, I took this many calories. It felt this way. So I could say, yeah, this is working. This is making the difference that I, that I thought it was. I love this. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I want to touch on one more topic before we get going. And that is about potential. Now, what you've done is remarkable. You qualify for the Olympic trials. It's a goal that so many people have and so few people accomplish. You mentioned before you spent a lot of time talking to Peter Bromka, who's a good friend of mine. He has written eloquently and painfully about this topic in the past. Again, another former D3 athlete. So talk to me about what you think is possible for runners out there who, if they put themselves and want to continue running, again, not everyone has the kind of experience that lends itself to that, but people who want to continue running, but just maybe aren't sure, like, all right, what does this even have for me? And what is, what am I capable of? Like, I'd love to hear you kind of opine on this topic because I feel like you've accomplished a lot yet. You haven't reached the ceiling and yet you don't come from this pedigree that screams like, Hey, all I have to do is fuel right. And I'm going to qualify for the Olympic trials. Most people who would say like, Hey, Alex Burks from SUNY Geneseo, I should say Geneseo, because it's one of the schools that you're not allowed to say SUNY for. (laughs) Alex Burks who graduated from, what was that? You can say it. I'm proud of it. We both know that Geneseo, Albany and Binghamton, you're not allowed to say SUNY. This is how you know that used to work in higher ed. Um, (laughs) That, that, that here, but yet here you are. So I'd love to hear you talk about the talk about this for people who were maybe like were multi sport athletes in college, or you know these small school runners uh, who were wondering, yeah, I could continue, but like, is this what is even my future in this sport? I would say simply that you will never know until you try, and that's that's about as simply as I can put it. Because I I had a feeling that the marathon would be a good distance for me, but I didn't know until I tried. And, um, I like uh, recently one of the, one of the uh, a fellow student Geneseo alumni, um, you know, not a guy who was making nationals teams, not a guy who was running times that would like, you know, make anyone who was a collegiate runner go like that guy's going to be a good marathoner, like went out, ran Chicago and ran 235 for the first marathon he ever ran. This is a guy who, you know, was like right around 16 minutes in the, in the 5k shout, shout out, uh, Pat angle. Like he was, he was, he was training while working post-college decided he want to run a marathon and ran this, you know, really impressive time. So I would just say you will never know until you go out and try and the moment you tell yourself that you can't do it is when it's going to not happen for you. So I don't know where my personal limits lie, and I'm not going to put a particular number on them. Uh, but also, you know, I'm going to remain realistic given the history I've had. So definitely now that I've gotten this OTQ uh, over the next couple of years, you know, obviously going to not try and go out and win the trials or anything like that, especially with it being in Orlando. That sounds like a, a great way to have a really bad time. But yeah, I'm definitely going to go out and take another moonshot like I did at, at CIM in 2021 uh, at some point, because yeah, right. you won't know. Final until- question. Final <laughs> question. So I'm, 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 I'm putting myself in the mind of that person that you're talking to. And I can imagine them saying, but Alex, here's the deal. I have a full time job, man. I don't, ha- I have a full-time job. 
I can't be doing this. I'm not one of those sponsored athletes that has all day to train and then rest and then double and then rest and then sleep for 12 hours and then do it again. How am I supposed to do this? If you enjoy doing it and if you want that goal badly enough, you will find the time and you will make the time to get it done. And furthermore, if you have people around you who share that common goal or who are able to support you in achieving that goal, they will help you to make the time and find the strength to be able to do that. Because yeah, I work, I, wor- I mean, I work a full-time job. I am in- incredibly fortunate to have summers off and I feel even more incredibly fortunate that the school district I work in now is really progressive and is on a four-day work week. Actually, I work um, from 7.30 to to 4.30, four days a week. I have Mondays off. Um, You can find that time, whether it's getting up at 5 a.m. to go out and, you know, do your morning run or whether it's waiting until, you know, the sun goes down to finish your workout at night. Like, you can find that time. And if you really, truly enjoy it, it will not feel like hard work 90% of the time. Obviously, there's going to be those days. All right. All right. Well, hey, before we get going, I guess the last thing is, how would you describe the finish line feeling for the race this weekend? Yeah. So it's funny because very early on in the podcast, you'd you'd mentioned something about like, we're like, you know, was the, the camaraderie? Like, were you trying, were you thinking about beating people or things like that? I think that there there was a group of like 15 or so people that came in between 17 and like 1720. And I was probably one of the like second or third to last of those people. Because again, the whole time I'm just thinking, just get to the line. You don't care about place. You just want the OTQ. And I was, I was just keeping myself calm. Again, repeating that same mantra I had the whole time, calm and patient, calm and patient will get you there. And once I saw the clock, and once I saw the faces of my parents who were out there to support me, which is another amazing thing about being able to to race in New I York. I mean, literally, if they weren't there, I don't know if they're still living in Marinette, but if they weren't yeah. there, Alex, yep. I mean, you would have had they a bone to pick. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah. they Oh, and they wouldn't have missed it for the world. They, but they both actually were supposed to work on that day, and they both took off for it. But, uh, yeah, once I saw them and I saw how excited they were, it was just like – Every single time that I had failed at this, all of those feelings of why isn't it happening? Why can I not do this thing that, you know, I did out of nowhere years ago, like off of just training for fun, just melted away. And it was just like, I I remember after I ran 216.51, I was on the ground crying simply because it was like this thing happened to me that I never would have imagined this time it was just being overwhelmed with emotions. And I, I quite literally think that in a way, like my tears were all of those like bad feelings, bad memories, like leaving my body. And the next day I just felt so much lighter because of it. Like this, this burden had been lifted off of me. So yeah, it was really just, the, it, it was, it was the culmination of everything that I've, I've tried to do in running. I remember when I was a, a sophomore or junior in high school, learning about the Olympic trials qualifying process and, and that becoming a dream in that moment and only maybe becoming a goal a decade later. So yeah. 
Alex, this was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for sharing so eloquently your journey and your experience at these races. It's been so great to listen to. And again, congratulations, not only on a great day, but just everything that preceded it. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been awesome.